Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Friday afternoon, not Friday evening. Usually we do this a little bit later, leading to the rumor that Will Allred and Kevin Joseph are vampires. I can uh, prove with the Florida <laughs> sunshine that I am not a vampire, but Will is down, I think, in a basement with no windows. So I think the jury is still out on you. <laughs> okay, we'll have to. We'll worry about. We'll work on that next week. <laughs> I, I've never seen Will in the in the daylight, so uh, we will see about that. But this is more important. Usually, we try to get about four projects on Explain Yourself, so that everybody gets a chance to really talk about each of the projects with time. Well, JMD D. Mateus and David Wellesby of Spellbound Comics have they found the code. Just put out four projects at once, <laughs> and we're just going to talk to you and only you. Um, the code to getting a dedicated hour with Yeah, <laughs> it, it 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 was perfect. We were like, we like to get four four in, and we're gonna we're gonna knock it out with with one project. We have Shawnee Myers in the chat. Shawnee, I was so worried it might be too early for you. So great to see you, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, normally what we do is we ask for like a 30 second elevator pitch so that if someone was walking past you at a convention, how would you get their attention on, on the book? This is a slightly different project. Um, as I kind of teased, there are four different books. So JM or David, who would like to give the kind of the macro about what this Kickstarter project and, uh, I know that you can get it on Kickstarter and somewhere else. So, uh, who wants to lead us into the demultiverse? Jim, do you have a preference? Start and David, just feel free to uh, jump in whenever I blunder and say something that's incorrect. <laughs> do you want to know the backstory, or just want to dive into the books? Let's do the backstory. Let's let's yeah, start okay. at the beginning. So, yeah, I met David. What is it? A year and a half ago? Two years ago, David? Something like that. Uh, I do uh, an occasional writing workshop called Imagination 101. And when the pandemic hit, I took it online for the first time. And I think David was in the, the first online class I ever did. And uh, as a result of the class, uh, we got friendly. We got to talking. David has 20 years of experience as a TV writer and a producer. And we connected sort of creative, uh, creatively and 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 on other levels. And uh, we just got to talking about what I'm up to, what he's up to. And one of the things that I'm always looking for is for new venues for my creator-owned work. I've been doing creator-owned work since 
I guess the first thing I ever did was Moonshadow back in the 80s. And I've always tried to balance my work uh, for Marvel, DC, and, and those companies and whatever work I may be doing in TV or whatever with stuff that's really personal and really mine. And you're always looking for, for the new venue for that. And I've been intrigued by Kickstarter for years because to me, it seems like that takes away one more wall between you and the audience, you know? Um, you're not you're not funneling through some publisher who's who's you know who's in for fifty percent and may not even be promoting your book or whatever the deal may be. Um, so, but the thing that always held me back was it just seemed like a hell of a lot of work that I was not <laughs> honestly willing to do. I just don't have the nervous system for it, as I'm discovering. Uh, <laughs> and and David and I got to talking, and he basically said, "Well, I'd love to do a Kickstarter for you." And we got to bouncing, what ideas do you have? And well, you know, I've been doing this for 180 years. I've got a lot of ideas, but I pitched him like four different ideas. And he brilliantly said to me, because David is brilliant, I have to say, why don't we do all four? And I was like, and what the, the idea that evolved was essentially, you know, do four pilots, four first issues of these series that I've been, you know, in one way, shape or form, all of these stories have been with me for years. One of them going back almost like 18 years, I think the newest one, maybe 10 years ago. But, you know, you, you, you get these ideas, you start to work on them, you put them away, they go away for a couple of years, you take them out, you work on them some more, you pitch them, you can't quite get it out there, you take it back. Mm -hmm. I've had projects that have, you know, seen print 25 years after I first started pitching them, you know, wow. it's just the nature of, the, and sometimes, you know, you come up with an idea, in the morning, you pitch it in the afternoon and it's sold. You just never know. I always say that stories have timing of their own, lives and timing of their own. And as much as it frustrates us, we have to we have to trust the timing. So we got to talking about this and we developed this, this concept that we're going to do these four first issues. Around that, and David, you can get into this more, grew this Spellbound Comics idea to have an imprint to, to carry these forward. And got in touch with some wonderful artists who whose work I love, some of whom I've, I, I, I guess I've worked with, with all of them in one way, shape or form, but never, uh, aside from Sean, I don't think ever at this depth as we're going now. So it just all kind of came together in this, really to me, it was magical. Cause like I said, without David, I never would have done this. And he kind of dropped mm -hmm. out of the sky, you know, in a halo with a halo and with wings and kind of came down <laughs> and said, let me do this. And this magical <laughs> thing happened. You know? So, and I'm only half joking because I really do think about David that way. Um, and and it's been quite an interesting ride. That's all I can say. I have a slightly different perspective, not on the angel part, but on the <laughs> story that got us here. Um, the pandemic for me led to me reading more comic books than I had read since I was a teenager, mm -hmm. uh, just to escape what I will call the awful reality of life. And it was really fun and enjoyable. And it awakened within me an unfulfilled dream of publishing comic books. Um, as Jim mentioned earlier, I spent about 20 years writing full time in Hollywood on TV shows, film. I've sold a couple of comics and I had moved away from Hollywood um, four years ago now. And I was in Charlotte and I was just finding that uh, life was a little what I like to say boring and I realized that I needed to scratch the creative itch. And that was what was missing from my life that now that I had sort of redirected my attention. And that's actually what led to me taking the class with JM. It was more like the pandemic. There's not much you can do. I can sit at home and do this thing and it'll be fun. And I had actually seen JM on the Baltimore Comic Con was done online that year 
And he was with Kevin McGuire doing a Justice League International panel. And he was extremely entertaining to listen to. And, and I told him this when I took the class. I was like, you know, when I saw you do that, I just thought, wow, well, you were really interesting to listen to. So let's do another uh, two full weekends of it. Right. Um, but anyway, back to the reading the comics, it awakened the dream of wanting to publish. And so when Jan was saying he was out there pitching these ideas, I said, well, I've been wanting to publish. What if we came together and did this? And I believe that crowdfunded comics are the future. I don't know if it's five years away, maybe 10 um, but you see that they've already found some footing and you see a lot of bigger name people doing that now. Mm -hmm. But I just think what hasn't happened is the audience hasn't grown to the levels of your local comic store. Um, like we're on pace right now. Maybe we'll get a thousand backers. I've seen some comic campaigns get 2000. Mm -hmm. Most comics that go through Diamond are getting 5000, sometimes 100,000, you know, the Christmas mm -hmm. or whatever. But in order, the costs are still the same, making a comic book with professionals like this. <laughs> you have to amortize them over less issues so the price point becomes higher. So I think the turnoff on Kickstarter, if there is one, is that, wait, I have to spend $15 for a single issue comic. I go to my comic store and it's $6. Well, that's going to change once we can build up an audience on Kickstarter and we can sell two, three, five thousand copies of the same thing. We'll still make the same total money, but we'll get an audience that's bigger and everyone will pay what they want to pay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and actually, we were just uh, discussing this, uh, I think, on last week's show is that, you know, in the direct market, a first issue is, you know, it sells big and then you get the drop off, you know, for subsequent issues. Kickstarter is almost exactly the reverse of that. Right. They, 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 the first issues are low. And then as you come back with the second issue, you build your audience and it just starts stair stepping from there. It's, it's really kind of weird. <laughs> Actually, well, you know, I think, being. I think the reason for that is because you have more product to sell. So when you come out with mm -hmm. issue two, you're grabbing people who are buying issue one for the first time. And when mm -hmm. you're on issue five, they're buying one, two, three, four. And so it's just more and more of your product is being sold. Um, the problem is you have to get there. Right? right. So we have to Absolutely. be at a certain number here to do our first one. Uh, and then that will justify being able to move on. And so far, we're in good shape. So, well, let's yeah. let's look at the Kickstarter page and, and actually go through uh, now that we have it. Let's go through the four pilots that you're actually putting out with this. Um, I will share the page. And then as we go to each um, each project, I'd love to hear about the art team and how how you guys brought the team together for each particular um, thing, except that I cannot share. That is not on my thing anymore. It says present down it, there, Kevin. They literally they changed, changed it to it. present. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That That is insane that they did that. And I um, only say that because I did the same thing last week. I'm like, crap, I can't share. <laughs> that is really crazy. Sorry about that. Um, all right, so Jay, are you, you're on the Kickstarter page. Yes, sir. There so, we go. Oh, there we go. There we go. There we go. Sure so is who's pretty. Guy in the middle. Wait, wait. I, I should have. I have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. First, this is breaking. First time we've had Jan imitate the. Uh, that's very. That's the first time I've become a living cartoon. We, we like to have exclusives on our show, so we really yeah. appreciate it. So um, I noticed on on the spelled on page, you talked about any man as being as kind of being the uh, the chaser to the people who come from JM's uh, DC and Marvel work. So uh, what is what is the concept behind any man and the team that you're working with? So um, 
any man on the surface, at least, seems like the most sort of traditional superhero story. Um, I'll give you I'll give you the quick premise. It's 1969. We're in Times Square. A portal opens, and this being who you see there comes flying through the portal, claims to be a survivor of a civilization millions of years in the past, an Atlantis kind of civilization, not Atlantis. Uh, you know, a perfect world where where their arrogance outgrew their morality, and the whole civilization kind of came crashing down on them. And he has now come into the future, to 1969, to what is a crisis point for our modern civilization to help us avoid the fate that his people went through. Over the next 50 years, and it's a big story, it takes place over the course from like 20, uh, 1969 through 2019, and there's a lot going on. Um, he becomes this global hero the one across the world, and in every nation of the world, in every culture, everyone looks up to him. There's only one problem, and the problem is that everything that we know about him is a complete fabrication. It's a total lie. So there's something hidden beneath the surface that I don't want to tell you here. Uh, <laughs> and, but the and, question and, is, yeah, who is what he? That is, yeah. What's the real agenda? Who created him? What's going on here? And that's the mystery behind any man. It seems like he's a, a traditional superhero and there's something very, very different going on. And then beneath that mystery, there's something else going on that I think is even more shocking. Oh, And nice. it's being drawn by David Baldion. Now, David and I worked together last year on Ben Reilly's Spider-Man for Marvel. And uh, as I keep saying, and I hope David doesn't feel bad, I'd never heard of him before we did this series. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the course of five issues, I went from not knowing who this guy was to being his biggest fan because he's just a sensational artist. You know, he does the big action beats. You know, he can he can do like a, a, a villain dropping a building on a bad guy on a good guy's head like nobody's business. But he can also do those amazing, intimate, quiet moments where you really need to 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 put a spear through someone's heart. He's just very, very gifted. And I was delighted when I asked him and he agreed to come and do this with us. And he's That's done really however nice. great the Ben Riley stuff was. And it was. This is even better. This is really, <laughs> really beautiful work. And by the way, no relation. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, my wife gets so confused. First of all, I know a lot of guys named David, so she never knows which David I'm talking about. Then when I start talking about David Baldy and David Baldy on, she's just like, yes, please, just, who is that? Which one is which? You know? I actually thought you were drawing it. He just, you just forgot to finish your name. I, uh, um, I wish it, I could draw like David Baldy. Is, is he coloring it as well? Or do you have a colorist on this? We have a colorist. This is, this is my artwork. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we had to hire David. Tell, tell us about our colorist, David. Um, on this book, it's Arthur Hesley. He's also doing Layla. He's a younger colorist. He's done some work for Dynamite and some other publishers. He's based out of South America, so some of his work has been there. Um, and we connected to him through Brian Cunningham. And he, Arthur has been an absolute um, godsend. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, really very talented artist, very pleasant to work with and uh, really, you know, wants it to be a good job. And that's important to him. And just it's been really, I, I would say, stressless. Would you? Yeah. 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 And he's doing gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. work. You know, I, I always say that it, with a comic book. Yes. You know, I, I'm creating an idea and the artist is bringing it to visual life uh, and telling the story visually. But if you don't have every piece of the puzzle in place, if you don't have the right colorist, if you don't have the right letterer, any of those elements, if they're out of balance, can take the whole story down. And we are very lucky that we've had great elements on each of these books. 
And um, you mentioned letter letterers. We try to make sure they get their time in the spotlight because yes. a lot of people forget. Um, oh, who is lettering? As for me as a writer, met? Taylor Esposito, who is working okay. you know, oh, uh, wow. nice. at, at DC and, and, and mm -hmm. many other places. And for me as a writer who's been doing this, working in comics for so many years, you know, when you're reading a comic, you don't think about it. You're not supposed to think about the lettering. Mm -hmm. But for me, the lettering is the delivery system for my story. And if that lettering does not flow, if it's not artful, uh, it, it, you know, I, I'm very visual and, and the lettering enters your brain a certain way and I've seen it. If the lettering is off, it's not going into your brain the right way. You're not absorbing the story the right way. So I've seen the wrong lettering can pull an entire story down and the right lettering can actually make me look better than I am. So yeah. I always want to work with a good letterer. <laughs> and, and Taylor is just magnificent. He's just, the stuff is smooth. It's artistic. It meets all the needs of the story. You know, it's, it's, I've been delighted with, uh, with everything he's done. Two things Can, on yeah. lettering. Yeah. One, Taylor just like two weeks ago won the Tripwire uh, Letterer of the Year Award for. Oh, congratulations. One, I believe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we have potentially the best letterer in the business right now doing uh, three <laughs> four books. Matthew Dow Smith is doing uh, Godsend himself, but for. Okay. And he's doing a good job also. For Taylor, uh, this is like an artistic showcase also because he's getting three different books with three different genres and three different styles and trying to make everything feel different as if someone else right. did it. You know, it's really nice. a cool project for everyone involved, I feel like, artistically. It really is. And consistently, everybody who's worked with Taylor has brought nothing but compliments. He he does a great job for everybody he works for, and that's that's pretty cool to, to hear that somebody is so consistently good at what they do. So before we leave any man, if this is the uh, series that's picked up to go first, how long is it envisioned to run? Well, here's the thing. Uh, this, this will definitely, you know, in my head is a five issue miniseries, which will tell a complete story, but it will not tell the end of the story because it's mm. such a big story that in my head, there's at least another five issue miniseries to go after this. And, you know, depending... Here's the great thing, as you guys know, you know, stories have lives of their own. They take off, they grow. They're like they're like these trees growing branches constantly and getting taller and taller. So, you know, I could get to the end of a second five issue miniseries and, and suddenly have 20 other plot lines emerging that I want to follow. So all of all of the books we're going to talk about are big. They have okay. scope and they're fairly epic. And the joy and the frustration of this is I'm getting the first issue out. I'm establishing these things. You'll get a flavor for what this is. You'll know our characters. But I, I know what's coming. I know how much more story there is to come. So I truly, truly hope that this is successful enough that we can continue and get these stories out there. Well, we didn't talk about where you are in this campaign. I think it's successful enough. Not that we need to stop. We want to go forward. But exactly. you had a, a $10,000 goal. We're, you're sitting at 24905 So we are basically about two backers from breaking uh, 25000 um, That's great which is amazing with 26 days to go. And uh, we will get into this later. Um, I actually backed on the Spellbound page. So I know that there were a few people who have backed separate from Kickstarter. Um, so I think, I, think you're, I think you're gonna be able to do this. I think it's gonna happen. <laughs> um, but our job From your is mouth to, to God's ear, as yeah. they say. Yeah. <laughs> our, 
our job is to help you get, uh, you know, the, keep the ball rolling or keep the snowball growing. Well, we're live right now. Can we get two people watching this to support and get us over 25,000? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That would be great if while we're sitting here, we can do that. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I already tweeted it while we're sitting here saying, come on, let's do it live on the show. Just, just so you know, Will and I do take credit for every backer from the beginning of the show on. We don't ask for money or percentages, but we do call it the take explain credit. yourself bump. We take credit. And you can just have so it. You, know. you can have yeah. it. Absolutely. Um, and Kevin, I did it. see your, your sale come in and there have been uh, at least a dozen people who have purchased through there. So yeah. Oh, nice. So a little bit here and a lot there and it adds up. That's great. So next up, a godsend. Right, right. Okay, so Godsend. First of all, let's talk about Matthew Dow Smith. Uh, Matt and I have worked on a couple of projects together in the past, but they've been one shots. We did a we did a Star Trek thing for IDW. We did a uh, an alternate Batman thing uh, for for DC, and we got to be friendly. And we kept talking about we'd love to do something something big together. And uh, Godsend is an idea that I've been nursing in one way, shape, or form probably since the early 2000s. And that's one of the ones that I put it away, take it out, work with it some more. I had another idea. I merged them together. That also happens. You know, you have a couple of different ideas, and you realize that they mesh really, really well together. And the characters from this story over here migrate over to this story over here. And that happened with Godsend. So during the, 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 the early days of the pandemic, I, I sent this idea over to Matt. And Matt has been doing... Uh, comics online. He'd been doing them on Twitter like five pages a week. He's been, put, been wow. putting out like, you know, the, his, his original stuff that he's writing and drawing. And first we thought, wouldn't this be fun? Let's just take this idea and we'll do five or six pages a week on Twitter just for the hell of it, just for the sheer creative joy of it. Because especially wow. in those early days of the, of the pandemic, it was a perfect opportunity just to be creative for the sheer joy of it and worry about what happens later on, you know, uh, whether this is going to go out into the world and succeed in some big way or not. So I wrote uh, uh, everything, 90% of what the first issue was written and more before I even came to David with this. And, uh, and so Matt, uh, let me tell you a little bit about the story. So my one liner is uh, Kirby gods meets Philip K. Dick meets the matrix. I love stories where, where you play with reality, where you play with identity, the questions of who do who am I versus who do I think I am? Questions like what is reality that what do we assume reality to be versus what reality really is, and spinning people's heads around with that stuff. I, you know, I, I grew up on the Twilight Zone. I love Philip K. Dick. Uh, I love and plus, you know, I'm a huge Kirby fan. I love Kirby gods. I think when you start playing with god characters, you get to move into other realms of, of metaphysical ideas that you can't get to through superheroes. So all that stuff sort of collides here. So we're in a world where out of nowhere, this celestial being appears. We don't know whether this is a force for good, a force for evil, seems to be a force for good, but we don't really know. And the media dubs him godsend because he shows up one day and saves some people. And I said, oh, what a godsend. But <laughs> the title is beautiful because it works both ways. It's godsend, mm -hmm. but it's also God's end. And that will work into the story at a certain point mm -hmm. as well. Um, so our, our main character we see right there in the middle of the screen yeah. is named Eric Small. He's a junior high school teacher. He's like 35, 40 years old. And he's basically a depressed, middle-aged, overweight guy with very few friends and kind of a sad life. And he becomes obsessed with Godsend. If you've if you ever seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, when mm. Richard Dreyfus becomes obsessed with the UFOs and it takes mm -hmm. over his life, that's what happens to Eric. And he doesn't know why. He doesn't know what it is. There's something in this being that is touching people, resonating with them in some profound way. 
And that's part of the mystery that we will explain as the story goes along. And then one day he's sitting in his living room and this seven foot tall being with a turtle's body and a man's head appears in his living room and says, get on my back and flies him out the window and thus begins a journey that completely shreds all of Eric's concepts of what reality is, who he is and what the world is. And that's all I'm going to tell you. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> nice. And you yeah, said you, you Matthew is, is lettering this himself. Is he he's, coloring he's, it as well? He's penciling, inking, coloring, lettering. And he will come to your house, sing and dance for you if you request it. And anything you want, he'll do anything. And Zoom calling. <laughs> and Zoom calling. Uh, right now on the campaign, you can uh, purchase the trade paperback and a 25-minute Zoom call with Matthew. Ask him anything you want. Uh, he's an artist of over 25 years and an uber-talented one. And there, mm -hmm. we, are, we put it up today with three. We're only down to one. So, Wow. Awesome. Uh, a quick question for you, JM. Um, I know that some some writers that I've talked to uh, actually do like lettering placements, but then some letterers want to do the placements themselves. It, uh, how how hands on are you with with you that know with it letterers? used to be in the old days, hundred years ago, before everything went digital, they would actually either send me the physical artwork or 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 you know remember Xeroxes, Xeroxes mm -hmm. of the artwork. So as I would write this, if you, if I was working, not if I was working full script, if you're working full script and, and actually Godsend was full script, you turn in the script, it gets lettered and usually the editor would place the balloons. Mm -hmm. But if you're working Marvel style where I would write a plot, then get the art and then write the script, I would sit there and I would place all the balloons. When things went digital, that stopped happening so much. But there, I will make specific notes in the script if there's something I really want in a specific place. And then, of course, you get the lettering back. And you might go, oh, that, that balloon's going to work a lot better over there. I really want that in the panel below that or whatever. But mm -hmm. I kind of miss the days when I got a chance to balloon the stories myself. Um, so that Just yeah, out of curiosity, JM, during that era, did they just give you a bunch of little white balloons to tape where you wanted? That You're joking, right? No, like what did they do? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't mean for the final. I mean for just for the placement. So the letter for the placement, I would put a, a, a like a piece of tracing paper over the artwork, and take a take a pen and just draw it in. Or if it was a Xerox, I would just draw it right on. Oh, the Xerox. and then you're sending uh, the tracing paper to the actual yeah. letterer to put over the. Yeah, copy. it would go back to the editor who would give it to the letterer. You know, before everything was in email. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a funny idea. If they sent us little balloons to stick in there, I never thought about that. <laughs> you know, that that reminds me of. The thing that, that I bet you every comic book writer has heard somewhere over the years, you say to someone, they say, what do you do? Oh, I, I'm a writer. And what do you write? Well, I'm, I write comics. And they go, oh, so you put the words in the bubbles? <laughs> and in their mind, these stories exist. Mm -hmm. And my job, they, are, they hand me a complete story and I, with, 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 the, with the balloons already there. And I have to figure out some words to fit. And it used to drive me crazy for years. And I have friends that like knew me for years. I have to sit. Let me explain to you how this works. You know, it's no, I lay on the floor and I bang my head against the wall trying to come up with these stories. I'm not just sticking words in the bubbles, you know? Yeah. Shawnee says, oh, we, oh, so you used to make your own transparent layer over the lettering. That's, that's a really cool thing to, to learn. I didn't honestly know. Yeah, actually. Myself. And I remember in the early days, sometimes they would just send me the artwork and say, here, just take a pencil and put the balloon shapes in. It was like, that's like crazy. What if the original screw it up? You know? Yeah. Art, you that, know? I would be um, very afraid with my yeah, own personal, yeah. uh, Cause yeah, you just, yeah. you know, cause sometimes, you know, you place the balloon and you go, oh, that's not where I want it. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't work. 
to think how anyway. many dollars of original art you've had passed through your hands and sent back. <laughs> <laughs> true, it's true. Mike Zek. Yeah, that's exactly what I was, when I think about it, I think about working on Captain America with a big uh, a page of Mike Zek artwork and a piece oh. of uh, tracing paper over that. Yeah. Nice. Incredible. <laughs> So let's move to Layla in the Lands of After, and I believe is this one um, all ages or YA? Yeah, you know these labels are, are kind of shaky. I think I, I, I call okay. it all ages. I, you know, like I, I wrote a I wrote a novel for uh, for young readers some about in 2010. I thought it was a YA novel. They said it was a uh, whatever the whatever the label was before that young readers or something like that so the mm -hmm. labels the, the idea for me is this is a book like projects i've done in the past like a Odd, like stardust kid where a parent can sit down with a child and they can read it together and they can both get something out of that i always like to quote i think it's madeline l'engle and i'm going to mangle her quote but the essence of her quote was whenever i come up with a story that's really complex and deep I'll write a book for young readers because that's the best vehicle for it, you know, nice. because, you know, the, the, the best, you know, young adult stuff and kids fantasy is just so rich with concept and idea and philosophy. And, you know, think about wrinkle in time and everything that's in mm -hmm. there. Um, so, yeah. So, so I guess all ages is a good way to label it. Well, I'm I guess because with, I, I, I forgot to ask, um, are any of these books of these four things that you would not give to, say, a middle grade reader or an elementary school reader? That's a really good question. I know there's uh, at least one cuss word in wisdom. Right. And there's probably there might be uh, one or two in Godsend as well. Nothing, nothing like overtly horrifying. Right. There's no, you know, no, it's not, not not a constant stream of profanity, nor is there graphic sex or yeah. particular, you know. Comic book violence, Spine, obviously. Spines being pulled out of backs yeah. and you know, bleeding I, I would, out. Yeah. I would think, I would think uh, a, a younger reader, you know, not like a younger, younger reader, mm -hmm. you know, but a younger reader would, would be okay with all these books. But this one is specifically, you know, with that in mind. You know, years ago, when I was raising my kids, uh, I was very frustrated by the fact that there were, no, there were very few comics that you could sit down and read and both enjoy with your kids the same way that both of you could sit down and read Harry Potter or the Oz books or Narnia or whatever. That's why Mike Klug and I ended up doing a Badazad uh, back in the day. Um, so I like to, to I like to return to this genre. So I'm working with Sean McManus. Sean and I worked together on uh, Dr. Fate at DC years ago. It's one of my favorite, favorite collaborations. One of my favorite projects that I've ever done that DC still hasn't collected. Um, I'll just put that out there. Put that out there. And um, we don't have a huge uh, re, re, uh, viewership from the DC editorial offices yet. <laughs> but when we do, we will. We will. Pass you never it know. Off. Someone could be sitting out there right now, going, "Oh, I can't believe we didn't collect that. Hurry up and do that." Yeah, it's worth. Um, it's worth putting out. Sean is just. He, you know, you hope that the people that you work with are both talented and good people. Hmm. And and the well, the other great thing about this project is just that's the way it's been with everybody. And Sean and I hit it off, not just creatively, but personally when we worked on Dr. Fate. And we've kept in touch over the years. We've done, a, again, a couple of small things over the years, but we started talking about this project probably 12 years ago. Oh. Uh, a few years back, we actually almost had it set up at a company. We had the contracts in hand and all of a sudden I noticed one little clause in that contract that made it impossible for us to sign it. And it just kind of went out the window, but we never gave up on it. So, you know, David has opened that door again for us. And, uh, and, and Sean is one of those artists too, like me, he's been in the business a long time, but he just keeps getting better and better and better. He's extraordinary. And he, very few people can create fantasy worlds the way that Sean can. 
and he does what you have to do with the fantasy world. Yeah, he can lean right into the fantasy, but he grounds it in real people and real emotions. Yeah. Um, I'm just and looking also, at the way he, he does the panels on these pages that you shared there. It creates the fantastic element just in how the panels are on the page. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you see those trees in the background and, mm. you know, uh, and they were living trees, you know, in the script. But the, what Sean developed as he drew it was the, the trees are constantly reacting to what's going on in the foreground of the story. Their moods are shifting. And, and he's just he's wonderful. I can't say enough good things about really him or any of these guys. But because Sean and I go back so far, you know, it's really special for me that we're working together here. Anyway, the story. The story starts in 1995. And there's a reason why I said it there. Um, and Layla is 13 years old. She's uh, biking down the street, coming back from her friend's house on a chilly October night. Um, and she's suddenly enveloped in a ball of light. And she finds herself lifted up and carried over the rainbow through the looking glass, uh, mm. through, the, through the wardrobe. <laughs> I don't know. But she ends up, as you can see there, in what looks like Oz or Wonderland or some magical, magical place. And she's just amazed at first and, and, and filled with wonder until this cat comes trotting along. And she realizes this is her cat, her dead cat who died like five years before. And the cat informs her, not only am I dead, Layla, but so are you. That light that enveloped her was a car that ran her down. And this magical land is the afterlife. Hmm. So it becomes the story of a 13-year-old girl who decides, I don't care, I'm only 13. I'm not staying dead. I'm going to find a way to get back. So she and a group of characters that she encounters along the way, including her deceased grandfather, and a character I call the not quite fallen angel, uh, they go off on this journey to find a way to get Layla back home. Cool. So, no, that is a great concept. And the art is, is just gorgeous. Is Sean me, coloring himself on this? No, no. Arthur is. Arthur is doing a, oh, just Arthur. an extraordinary okay. job on this one. I just want to say one more thing. The, the reason why it's called the lands of after, plural, is because my concept is that, you know, the, the, this, the afterlife is made of our imaginations. And so everyone who dies essentially creates the afterlife that they imagined it would be. So, you know, if you're somebody who thinks that if you're a dog, <laughs> there'll be bones everywhere. No, you know, hey, we, so, we've yeah. had two dogs protecting their houses already. We got to we got to get up to four if, if everybody has a dog. If, My... um, you know, if you if you're expecting harps and angels and clouds, you'll get that. If you mm. think you've been a terrible person and you ex you're going to get the fires of hell and devils, you'll get that. If your idea of heaven is you want to be 10 years old again and play stickball in the streets with all your friends, you'll get that and more. You know, So mm. there are many, many, many lands that she has to travel through in her journey to, to even begin to hope to get back home. Oh, that's awesome. And we're going to get to the fourth one, which, David, I'm going to do a little spoiler. I, I think this might be the one that you're rooting for, the uh, the uh, the Western. So I'm, I'm not going to skew anybody's voting, but if, if you vote for Wisdom, I think David's going to be very happy. Thank you for but, giving me an opportunity to uh, defend myself on this. JM doesn't like that I keep saying that Wisdom is awesome, <laughs> but I want to qualify. And I said this to him. I don't even know if it's the one I would vote for. I love them all for different reasons. Right. My reaction to this is I'm read, reading a pitch document that shows years of story and where it's going to go. Mm -hmm. And 
what we're voting on right here is issue number one. So right. it's a fair game for everyone what's going to happen reading one chapter of it. But in terms of like, whoa, this is a sprawling epic and just blows my mind the quality of writing that's in here. This mm. was the one for me. Um, Any Man, though, and I said this also in, in previous podcasts, is my favorite idea if you're just pitching me like a paragraph, like here it mm-hmm. is, like which one do you want to read? That was the one that I was like, oh, but I'm partial to mainstream superhero stuff. Um, and also the twists and turns in there just really appeal to me. Um, Godsend has become maybe my favorite right now after editing all these videos and seeing Matt's artwork and the just the mood that it's setting. And it feels like you're watching a one hour drama on FX or something, you know? Uh, so they're all in different places. Layla is, as you guys just talked about, is so beautiful and, mm-hmm. and so imaginative. And I have not said this, I don't think. Uh, during the pandemic is when I read Abadazad for the first time. And I've read a lot of JM stuff. Um, but obviously, as we were getting in business together, I started reading even mm-hmm. more of his stuff. And I, I hadn't even heard of that. He had just referenced it a couple of times because I wasn't collecting weekly during the cross-gen days. Well, DC hasn't collected that yet. They really need to get on that. Well, it's only three issues. Three issues well, oh, you, you read the comics, not the book. See, Abadizad was interesting. We'll take a, a slight side turn. Abadizad, we did for, Plug and I did for CrossGen, right oh. when CrossGen was sinking beneath the waves. Oh. So oh. we actually did four issues. Three issues got published. They were going through so many changes that every issue had a different editor, as I recall correctly. Because oh. <laughs> the next week, that editor wouldn't be there. It was a shame because CrossGen was a phenomenal company in many ways. But what happened was... Uh, Someone at Hyperion Books for Children, which Disney owned, came along. They saw Abadazad, and they essentially bought CrossGen to get Abadazad. Um, it's a very long story short. There's a lot more to it. And Mike and I did, uh, we turned it into a book series of a combination of prose and comics. And then a similar thing happened. We, 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 three books were published. A fourth book was written. And because of changes in, in, uh, in management over there, Again, we sank and, and we vanished again. So Abadazad is the great heartbreak of my career because we were signed for four books. They were telling us we were going to do at least eight, maybe 12. I had this whole story planned out and then gone. So in, in some ways, I guess Layla is my, my opportunity to go back to that kind of story and see it through to the end this time. It absolutely is. And, and that's what I was getting at when I brought up Abadazad. Uh, having read that during the pandemic, so I'm pretty recent to it. It's just three issues of CrossGen that I read. It is so good. It is so good. When I, if I was listing all of my favorite JM works, it would be in the top three. It's and in my top three also. I have to, I have to say I, it's absolutely in my top three, both the comics and the books. And I encourage yeah. anyone – I haven't read the books. I should. I encourage anyone listening – Oh, thank you. Listening to this <laughs> to go find the, for, the cross-gen issues. If they're not collected, they're probably not. Just get them off eBay, whatever read them they're phenomenal and it will make you really really wish that this series was continuing i would love this will never happen because disney doesn't need the money to be able mm-hmm. to acquire abadazad from them and put that back into publication and let you continue that um, i've had i've had a, a very big producer try to try to uh convince them to give him the movie rights and it, and it hasn't worked won't. out so far it hasn't worked <laughs> out so far but I, I i don't give up and also let's remember that yeah. we're really getting sidelined here um hey disney listen owns, Di- disney you guys owns are the Marvel. only ones yeah you're the disney only ones on it you we talk about whatever we want to talk about okay D- disney owns marvel so i have a secret hope that maybe i can convince them to bring those comics back oh, that's and then i can continue them you know anyway on on to wisdom 
look at, I love that logo. That may be my, the logos are all great, but that may be my favorite logo. Agreed. Um, it's really, really, really great. Did Taylor do all the logos or did, did you have other artists? Uh, Every series artist did their own logo. So this oh, is a gotcha. Mandrake special on this particular one. Uh, Tom enlisted the help of his son, Jack, who is a graphics artist and artist. Um, I don't know who did what, but they did this together and it's phenomenal. Nice. And then, so, so Sean did the Layla one. Matthew did the Godson one and David Baldino did the Endyman one. Got it. So David mentioned this pitch document that I gave him. And I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, David. See, we're learning so much here today, both of us. That <laughs> the pitch, And it was a big pitch document. But the document that I gave you was cut down from my original document. I might have had 40 or 50 pages of notes on this thing. Because what happens to me with story is I tend to see movies in my head. And I literally woke up one morning with this movie in my head. And I'm laying in bed and, mm -hmm, what's, oh, what's this, you know? And, oh, look, there's a guy on a horse. It's a Western. I would better follow him and see, where, oh, it's a supernatural Western. Oh, and then, you know, you run to the computer and you start writing and all these ideas start coming. I, uh, I put this picture on Twitter the other day. It was me at like four years old in like a, a complete cowboy outfit, cowboy hat on my hobby horse, you know? And, and because when I was a kid and I looked this up recently, like, like half the, sh there were only three networks and half the shows on television when I was like five, six years old were Westerns, Westerns. Hmm. you know? And I had, you know, up there on my shelf somewhere, I still have a Roy Rogers figure, Roy Rogers sitting on trigger that I got for my fourth birthday. Um, and, and, and so Westerns were a big, big thing. And I used to, there was a book about the Alamo that I used to take out of the library over and over and over. And I would read it. I'd bring it back a couple of weeks ago by. I'd take it out and read it again. So I was immersed in that stuff. As I got older, I kind of forgot about it. In fact, was not a very big Western fan at all. But this is reigniting that love. So once I realized I'm writing a Western, I did a lot of research. And this story just grew. And it's sort of our, our one-liner is it's Deadwood meets the Lord of the Rings uh, with a little bit of John Ford's The Searchers thrown in for good measure. Mm -hmm. Um, our, our main character, Gabriel Wisdom, uh, starts out as a, a very innocent soul, um, a, a cosseted, a rich uh, kid growing up in upstate New York with a very, very wealthy banker father. And all he wants to do is be an actor. And his father, because he's guilty because the mother died when the kid was young and he's, you know, he, he doesn't really know how to relate to his son, bankrolls this theater company. And so he's not a very good actor, but he gets his own theater company, tours around, he meets this woman, he falls in love, he gets married. And then his father dies and the whole financial empire collapses and they don't know what to do. So they pack up and they move to Chicago where he decides to become a reporter and fails miserably. And they pack up the wagon, where are you gonna go? We're gonna go West. And they end up in this town out West where he starts a newspaper. And long story short, what happens one night he's driving back home uh, where, his, and where his wife and his newborn child are, and he sees that his entire house is in flames. And riding away from the house are these spectral horsemen, these shadowy shadow beings on horseback. And he tries to save his wife and child, and he can't. And this begins a turn in his life where he moves from being this sort of innocent soul, evolving into one of the most fierce gunmen in the West, and ultimately becoming a sorcerer who is tasked with stopping this great evil that is coming for the world. And that came and, and we learned, later learned, took his wife and family. So the personal quest for him is, I've got to get my wife and daughter back. And the big quest is, I got to stop this thing that's coming. So it's a very, again, it's a very big story. So a five issue miniseries will tell a story 
but I can see five more and five more. And I can see this story going on for years, you know? Mm -hmm. Pretty easily. Um, can I jump in real quick with some breaking news? Yes. yes. We have passed 25,000 on our campaign. Ooh, yay. Excellent. Oh, I'm just watching it. Yeah, there it goes. That's excellent. Oh, no, I didn't say that. That is a that is a gorgeous thing to look at. Twenty five thousand and five. That's all right. Great. So guys, That's before really we great. we finish, we got to get to twenty six thousand. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, I, mean, I, I will hold you guys to that. So if we don't get there, you two have to pay for it. <laughs> uh, I, I got one credit card that I could put in the thousand for. It's not going to help you at the end, but um... you know, there've been a couple of days where we've been thirty dollars away from something. I was like. I'm just going to borrow thirty dollars myself just to make myself feel better. I didn't do it, but the, the urge has been there, you know. I envision your wife grabbing your wrist. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So anyway, you, you were there a minute covers. ago. You, you showed us uh, one of those great alternate covers, the J.H. Williams oh, yes. cover. There you go. Yeah, That's J.H. Williams the third, who's like one of my favorite, favorite, favorite artists, and that we got him to do this. I think he's going to make it. I think he's going to yeah. make it in this. He's got a lot of potential, that kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so. I, you know, I've loved all his stuff, but this, the Prometheus stuff that he did with Alan Moore is like, just makes your brain explode. It was just some of the most uh -huh. gorgeous artwork ever I've ever seen in a comic book. Um, it's the and same have on some... his image book, his creator own book, Echo Lands. I'm, you probably haven't mm -hmm. seen it, but it came out a year, year and a half ago, something like that. It's, um, it's, um, it's um, landscape. The landscape, yeah, it's really yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, he's ama he's amazing. So I was just so thrilled that he uh, that he did this for us. And up, and there's Liam Sharp, another old buddy of mine. We worked together on Man Thing at Marvel back in the '90s. One of my favorite favorite collaborators ever. And uh, he, he did the cover for the collected edition, makes, which yeah. is fantastic. Nice. And we have Kevin McGuire doing an alternate cover. And who? Wait, we have someone else. Dustin David. Wynn. All right, Dustin Wynn on Wisdom. Yep, and then uh, we have Kevin a. Any man, sorry. Yeah, and then we and have our, our our mystery cover, our mystery for Godsend that we're hoping to reveal by the end of the at the end of the campaign. Yeah, nice. we're also hoping to get a Kevin McGuire uh, his Any Man variant here in the next few days. So maybe next week we'll be dropping. Oh, that that's great. Before. That's great. Yeah. So again, you know, these these a lot of these are guys, you know, like Kevin, who I've known and worked with for you know thirty plus years. So I was so delighted when he agreed to to participate and be a part of this with us. It's great. Me too. He's one of my favorites ever. Yeah, yeah. So talented. All these guys. I mean, we're really, really lucky. All these guys are so damn talented. Every single one of them, you know. Mm. And and you know, if, honestly, and I'm not, and I'm as objectively as I could be. If I was a fan, and I am a fan, but I mean, if I wasn't the guy writing these stories, I'd be all over this. I would Same. be all over this. Well, it's so unique, too, and so much fun that I, I want to get into that is, okay, so we've got these four books. You're going to back this about $50 in shipping. You get either all four comics or the trade paperback collection, and you can do add-ons. I saw the t-shirts and stuff. So after Will gets his, say you got the trade paperback, and I get my four comics and we read this. So how are we going to be able to vote on what we want to be the first series that Spellbound brings out. I'm going to send a survey out to the backers who at their email addresses or an update with like a mm -hmm. link where you can go to a site and enter your answer the survey. Um, but it's only going to those who buy all four because I don't want somebody who's just like impart or partial to one artist or one idea to just be all over that one. I want somebody who read all four and said, like with me, when I was reading the pitch doc and you were saying, oh, you're partial to wisdom or whatever. 
No, like I'm going to read them all. And the one that I think is the best and I'm most looking forward to would be the one that I would vote for. That's just mm-hmm. how I am. You know, uh, what you pitch me, if you pitch me an idea and then you execute the idea, those are going to be two very different reactions. So I would be judging it based on how they're executed in, in these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, those of you who do back all four will get to vote and whoever gets the most number, whichever title gets the most number of votes, the plan is for that one to go forward for an issue two, three, four, maybe a five. And we put those all out at once about this time next year in another Kickstarter campaign so that you can buy issues two, three, four, and five, or a collection that has mm-hmm. all five issues in it with some bonus features, et cetera. Um, the way that the financials work on this, it's it's very expensive to do five issues of a, four, even four issues of a comic book. We could do issue number two of all of them, and that is still an option that people could potentially vote for. We haven't really finalized whether we're going to offer that. I kind of root against that because then I got to wait a year to read chapter two of four different books. And then I'm going to wait close to a year for chapter three <laughs> I'll lose interest. And this is my baby. You know, hmm. I would rather see one of them get the red carpet treatment all the way through. And then we could switch to another one. You know, no, that makes that does make total sense. The cool thing about the Kickstarter audience is the, <laughs> They aren't, they, some of us are weak, uh, Wednesday warriors. Some of us are used to, you know, getting 12 issues and an annual. And some of us are really kind of would be cool with that. But I do get what you're saying about getting a complete, um, you know, one through five, not a full story, but the full many done. And then, uh, you know, like that, that might feel better. But the cool thing is it's not just you've got to, you got it. You're not a shark anymore. You don't have to always be moving to stay alive, but it's still better to be moving than not. Um, Shawnee mm-hmm. did ask, would that include someone who backed at the digital level for all four? So she's going to be part of the survey. Okay, great. Absolutely. As long as you're reading all four so that your judgment is not um, partial, mm-hmm. right? you get a vote. Right. So you can buy the nice. individual issues, you could buy the collection, but you know, either way you're getting, you're getting them all. I think it's a great idea. And it, well, I, I talked about earlier about taking a wall away between creator and audience, this allows the audience to participate even more mm-hmm. and they get to choose. Now there's a part of me that would like, I would love to just, you know, you remember Barry Smith did a book called Barry Smith's Storyteller some time ago, oh, yeah. maybe mm-hmm. 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And he had like three or four new ideas and it was, it was treasury size, so it was gorgeous. But I loved reading that and reading like, you know, all four of them, uh, all four of the stories. So part of my brain is like, I would love to see all four of them in one book again. But I get David's point about do you want to read a chapter a year. <laughs> you know, that could be a little <laughs> frustrating, unless of course we're we're so successful that uh, that suddenly we're uh, we've got a real publishing company here and we're rolling them all out every Absolutely. three months or something. Well, yeah, um, and and we we I certainly do not want to ask for any numbers, but there there could be a number that you guys reached where that becomes possible. So that's why we need to keep pushing, even though you've hit 25,000, let's keep pushing so that maybe that's an easy decision for you guys to make that you can um, surprise us with in a backer update, you know, after the campaign. Absolutely. But I, I, we don't need to know and you wouldn't tell us anyway. So I'm not going to ask for any <laughs> of that. I'm just going to try to uh, let people know about the project. So maybe that happens. Um, We're thinking of adding Keanu Reeves name to the Kickstarter okay. page. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, I've seen one project that did that and it did okay. <laughs> My joke has been like, it's like, you know, big letters, Keanu Reeves and little letters has nothing to do with <laughs> <you know? laughs> Well, we haven't, 
announced the Godson variant artist, so it could be could Keanu be Reeves. Keanu Reeves. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you have so, to back to find out, and you can't back yeah. out if it's not. So, so here's the challenge. By the time we're done talking, we want to hit 1.5 million dollars today. I'm gonna get my wife to put some coffee on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. right. We're gonna be here a long time. <laughs> oh no, that that is awesome, and I I really like I I really think it's a cool, unique idea, and I what what I loved about it when I first heard about it i was like oh, okay so so you guys are coming in you're you're doing the kickstarter but you're doing it in a way that is unique i've, I've never seen anything like this have you well, that, that was part of the idea yeah. for why i was pitching doing all four instead of just picking one was that that would allow us to have four artists with followings potentially multiple mm -hmm. colors letters whatever multiple variants and we would draw in audiences from all of them as opposed mm -hmm. to just relying on one as mm -hmm. awesome as right. he is creator um, and one artist. I've seen other projects on Kickstarter with high level talent on there, but they're still kind of just like a blip, you know? So mm -hmm. I was hoping, hey, look, we've got Liam Sharp, we've got J.H. Williams, we've got Kevin McGuire, and we've got all four series artists, and we've got JM. And it's like, we're dropping new news over the course mm -hmm. of the last few weeks, if you've been following, and it makes it feel like there's something big in the air, you know? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just, oh, this guy that you may, and I'm not talking specifically about JM. I'm just saying this talent that you may have read years ago or read recently is doing a Kickstarter. Okay, let me check it out. It's more like, mm -hmm. whoa, I have to stop and take notice. What is this company that I've never heard of who's got all of this amazing talent under one roof on one project? I would be backing this. Mm -hmm. I have, um, I won't get into my other business, but I have another business. And what I learned running that business for the last 15 years is about drawing attention. It really is about eyeballs, and it's just a percentage of that eyeballs. Mm -hmm. People are out there who would buy this project and just don't know about it right now. And the struggle is just to reach those people. You might be able to pay for advertising and reach them, but if you do that, you might not make any money because mm -hmm. the profit you did make was spent on advertising. So it's a delicate balance you have to walk. Um, and this is my first foray into the comic book world, JM um, has been doing a spectacular job of getting the word out there, not only with the followings he already had, but just doing podcasts like this. He's done, yeah. I mean, I know you haven't done them all, but JM, aren't you up to close to 20 podcasts total that you something like that between I mean, it's and, an insane, and November? It's like a full day of his life is going to be after, after which I'm going to throw my computer out the window, get in bed and not come out for a month. <laughs> well, Will and I are honored that you came to yeah. talk to us. We really are. Oh, we, well, you know, Will, I came back just because of that picture, which got me last time of your dog oh. sitting there, you know. <laughs> the last time we Otis. spoke, the last time we spoke, the whole time I'm just looking at the dog, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because uh, just a little bit to the right, I've got the uh, slipcase for the Barry Windsor Smith Storyteller stuff. Oh, that's there funny. On, on the well, shelf. <laughs> One more thing I want to say before we can move on, you can ask us other mm -hmm. things, um, is that most of these books, uh, the books are almost all complete right now. So it's, you know, I've heard stories of people that, you know, I contributed to a Kickstarter and then, you know, I was 18 when I contributed. I'm 92 now and I just got the book today and, and you know, from some stories I've heard, maybe I'm only slightly exaggerating, you know. So these books are almost done. And by the time the Kickstarter is over, these books will be finished. They're all like in the final stages right now. Um, yeah, we so have maybe 10 total pages of coloring to do and like 20, not even 20, probably 10 or 15 of lettering total. Oh, wow. That'll be done with uh, the lettering. The coloring will be done in a week. And the lettering will probably be done no more than two weeks from now. Like that's 100%. All the covers, all the books. 
And then the variant covers, um, we already have one, we have one coming in within a week and another one following just after that and another one probably after that. But we do need a few weeks after the close of the campaign in order to wrap up the trade paperback because we're mm -hmm. doing bonus features. And JM's going to be writing an introductory essay to each title, sort of talking about the genesis and history of the idea and his passion for the project, why he, it's lived with him this long. And then we're also going to have bonus art material, maybe show some script pages. And then the big coolest part, I think, is that we got former Marvel editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco to write a foreword speaking about the project and JM and JM's career and no almost no one, maybe no one in this industry knows JM better or as long as Tom DeFalco does. And I said this somewhere else, but Tom is the uh, reason that JM got brought back to Marvel after Justice League International and did the did the Spider-Man run that led to Craven's last time. So he, you know, we owe, we owe Tom something too, if, if like me, you're a big fan of the Craven's last hunt story. Absolutely. Just one correction, it wasn't after Justice League International, it was simultaneous oh. with Justice oh. League International. Because oh. oh. that's one of the things that when I think about in retrospect, I was writing both those books at the same time. Here's the darkest <laughs> Spider-Man story ever told and our goofy, <laughs> wonderful Justice League at the same time. And I think it probably kept me sane being able to do both things simultaneously. Yeah. The, dark and the, the dark and the light at the same yeah. time. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, uh, David, a quick question for you. Um, you I know you've, you've looked at Kickstarter from a fulfillment setup. I mean, we're talking, you know, potentially a thousand backers. Uh, I, I fulfilled... 300 approximately and that's that's some investment in time and backing materials <laughs> how what is what does the end of the project look like from from your standpoint are you going to go grab jm and he's going to be packing stuff too <laughs> i think matthew oh. dell smith is the one that is going to have to because they said he'd dance and sing so i bet he can pack up yeah. i have a seven-year-old son who's very eager to help pack these boxes I <laughs> Um, he is already that should last about 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> He's very eager to get his hands on the very first printed copy of Layla, just so you know. Oh, very That's, nice. great. That's great. It depends on where we land, how I'm going to pursue mm -hmm. this. I do have experience doing bulk mailings. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I do own another business. So I have a team in place and a lot of experience doing fulfillment. I'm not really turned off by that. I do. It really depends on what the numbers end up being, because if they mm -hmm. are high enough, then I might uh, engage with a fulfillment house, possibly a printer who fulfills. And I have friends who've run several Kickstarters who do do that. And so I have lines into all them. Um, but one way or another, you're going to get the books and you're going to get them as soon as humanly possible after they arrive from the printer. This is important to me. Again, I have run a business successfully for 15 years and I'm a comic book fan who's backed these Kickstarters. I don't want to wait forever. And frankly, I have enough things in, on my plate and in my mind that I just want to Let's get this one off and let's think about the next <laughs> thing. I don't want to like have this thing gnawing yeah. in the back of my head for six to 12 months. Um, yeah. It was, and, and JM touched on it a little bit, but it was very important to me that we wouldn't launch this project until we were done or about to be done because I, worst case scenario, I want to be able to send this out the week after, like, like potentially if that was mm -hmm. where we landed, like if we didn't do a collective trade and we were just doing the four issues, we would have been able to do that the day this was over and just send it to the printer, wait three months or whatever they take and send it to the people. Um, I have backed over 20 comic book projects. I think only one has not fulfilled for me. I've heard the horror stories. I haven't had a ton of experience with it, but it's 100% not going to happen with this. No matter what, this is funded. In fact, that's why we set the goal so low. We knew we were going to hit $10,000, potentially even in day one. Um, the actual number to break even is much higher. It's probably uh, four times higher than what we did on day one. We may or may not get there, but I... 
wanted you to rest assured that the books were coming out one way or another. Like if it's a loss, it's a loss, but we're going to publish them and get them out there. I didn't do all this work and come this far just to be like, sorry, I'm not even going to print them. Yeah, no, I, based on your, 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 you know, was it $10,000 goal for four issues and a trade paperback? Um, I, I, I could tell that um, you were making sure to get, get some seed money, but that is, that is not paying for the printing. I've heard yeah. the algorithms favor those that like fund quickly. And then it's like, oh, they're 300% funded. So that must be a good one. Let me help it. So it's like, all right, well, let's see what the algorithm's like. Nobody knows what the <laughs> algorithm is. We all have <laughs> theories and it changes daily. But it's what I'm saying is we need we need to keep helping keep pushing. spread the word on this because mm-hmm. absolutely. If, if you're looking at it and going, oh, gosh, they had a $10,000 goal and they're up to 25000 um, I mean, a normal single comic is usually four to an eight thousand dollar goal. Uh, mm-hmm. Trade paperbacks usually a five to a fifteen thousand dollar goal, and you've got four individual comics and a trade paper trade that yeah. we're trying to get funded. So, if if you're listening to this or watching this, um, and you're interested in it, either go to spellboundcomics.com or to the Kickstarter and and support it now because the money beforehand is a godsend um and uh oh, well any, done, any well man would done. be <laughs> and every dollar that comes in if we do make any money that's just going towards doing the second one like right. this is mm-hmm. not my full-time income so i'm not going oh good thank god i can pay my house mortgage as a result of this that's not what's going on <laughs> in order to see something through and hopefully because of my 20 years in hollywood we can turn this into a TV show or a movie, one or more of these ideas. So really, I'm just hoping that these ideas either break even or make enough to keep fueling themselves forward. And uh, we can have a lot of fun doing it along the way. And I would like to say one more quick thing about Kickstarter comics, because some people get turned off by the price. I have a lot of experience buying them, and I understand how it works. It's really just math. Um, a couple of people did message us in the last 24 hours saying, why is this so expensive? Um, but it's not that much more or any more expensive than many of the Kickstarters I've done. $15 is a pretty standard price for a single issue comic. Mm-hmm. The math of it is if you're going to pay a professional writer and professional artists and professional colorists and professional letterers and professional designers and variant artists and all the expenses that come into this, plus the 10% Kickstarter fee, backer kit, and the printing costs, then and you're only going to sell a thousand issues, you have to amortize that over those issues. So yes, maybe only a thousand people are going to show up to back it, but we hopefully will get the number we need in order to keep going. If we were to only charge $6 an issue, we might still only get a thousand people and we would not be able to continue on. it's It's an unfortunate mathematical reality of doing crowdfunded comics. And what I said earlier in the show about, I think the future is this, it just requires more and more people thinking first, let me check Kickstarter for comics or let me check Mm. whatever the next crowdfunding option is for comics. And then we'll have that 5,000 or 10,000 audience and we could charge $7 for the comic instead of 15. And I, I went to, um, you know, you have J.H. Williams doing that gorgeous variant cover. Um, I'm a huge Gaiman fan, huge Sandman fan. So he did Overture with Gaiman and it was as pretty a comic book as can exist. It was a great story. And um, I read one page and there were two ads and then I read two pages and then there were four (laughs) ads and then I read another page and I was like, Oh, so DC is paying their yearly bills with overture, (laughs) which is their right. And it's fine. But um, 
I'm going to guess no ads in these comics, right? Uh, not exactly. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> do we have I, some? You know, I, I can't, I'm mentioning I do have a business. Um, yeah. I have commissioned sort of an old style uh, comic book page, like the hostess type ads. Oh, neat. Um, or that, that OJ Simpson sneaker ad from back in the day. Uh, my, my business is selling medicine cabinets and I have a really fun one page ad for that going in there. I also, I'm not going to say specifically here because it's not done yet, but I also have intentions of approaching um, certain companies to put an ad in there. I will say there will be a Tomorrow's publication ad. If you guys are familiar with Tomorrow's, they publish back issue, the Jack Kirby yes. Collector, mm -hmm. Retrofan, and several others, Alter Ego by Roy Thomas. Mm -hmm. um, we have ads in five of their magazines. Three of them are out right now. They were just delivered about a week ago, and two more are coming out over the next couple of months. And um, as a tip for tat, we're putting their ad into ours. So okay, awesome. So quite honestly, there's not a lot of income coming in from these oh, ads. No, no so, I mean that's a free ad exchange. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So the the point I'm making is, you buy a six dollar comic that DC or Marvel has paid for all of the creation with ads, or a Kickstarter book for twelve dollars that isn't that has to pay for the ads yes, and the but printing. But keep in mind that DC mm -hmm. book is 30, 50,000 copies. So they're getting a good chunk of ad money if they sell an ad. If mm -hmm. you're trying to get someone to give you money for a thousand printed copies and mm -hmm. it's, you know, maybe even less backers because mm -hmm. one person's getting all four, you're really paying for the eyeballs. It would, even if I got money, it wouldn't be anything that would change and, the course of this. And for the collectors, you're getting one of, a few hundred or a few thousand as opposed to yeah. getting one of 30,000 of issue one of a right of a thing. Yeah. So that, that's where the price ha happens on Kickstarter. I think your point there is that Kickstarter comics are rarer and for the collector mm -hmm. in us, that should be something. And I've, I've always been curious about that because I haven't seen that catch on and blow up yet, but it makes perfect sense that that is how it would be. Mm -hmm. You know when it, it will be that, I guess, when a kickstarted comic suddenly becomes a TV show or a mm -hmm. movie, that yeah. the people that have mm -hmm. that first issue where there's yeah. only 500 or 1,000 of them, that's that's when that mania will start. 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's, your, it's true. Your viewers should know that I have a 20-year history in TV and film, and I have <laughs> representation, and I've already pitched ideas to them, and I already have a meeting set up for two weeks from now with an exec producer of uh, the, several movies. I don't want to mention the movies. Uh, and who knows? He's a huge comic book fan. So it's very possible in the future, and that was part of the dream going into this, that yeah. it will become a TV show or a movie. And if that happens, you would be on in on the ground floor if you were to back this Kickstarter right now. That's really awesome. awesome. We did get a, a message on the Facebook. We're going to kind of maybe uh, slip into just general comic books. Yeah. And the name didn't come through, but Facebook user Craven's Last Hunt, aside from being the best written Spider-Man series written <laughs> during my time reading the book, was my first crossover series. So thank you, and I guess... Thank you. Um, I guess You're welcome. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's, you know, I, um, it. It amazes me. I have to say that it's what that that this story came out in 1987. It's been in print almost continuously since then. I go to conventions, and it's not just the people that you know read it back then. There are people that are reading and discovering that story right now every day, and you can't you know you can't ask for anything more. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's an amazing thing. I'm very grateful. Yeah, I was, uh, when, when I found out you ran out, I went on Hoopla and went to my local library and I downloaded that one, J JLI and uh, uh, an X-Men group that your name is on, but 
I don't know. I don't know. You, I, I read five issues and, and it wasn't you. And I'm like, what, what book was it? X-Men Extinction. It was uh, like X-Men 300. I don't know. What I don't know. I, I wrote X-Factor for story. a while. Maybe there's some X-Factor stuff in there. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe. But um, I didn't get to you yet, but it was a lot of fun. What, one of the questions I wanted to ask as just a, a comic book fan. So you get hired with, uh, is it Kevin, uh, the JLI you, you wrote with um, Kevin, Keith Giffen. Kevin Keith Giffen. I'm sorry. Mm. So, when you're brought on as a writer or a writing team to a, a, a book like a JLI or an Avengers, do you guys come up with, with the editor, a story idea and then decide on characters that might work with it on the team? Or do you guys come up with the characters that you want to bounce off of each other first and then work on the plots and adventures that happen? Well, JLI was a weird beast because JLI grew out of was it the Legends miniseries, whatever that big, whatever the big miniseries was, you know, that was going to change everything back in the day. Because every you know, every fifteen minutes, there's another miniseries that's going to change everything for mm -hmm. all time. Um, and so, people up the food chain at DC decided who was going to be in our book. So that was, I think, decided before any of us even came near it. And they just okay. handed that to Andy Helfer, who was our editor and such an important part of that process. Mm -hmm. And then Keith came along and Keith was going to write the book by himself. Uh, but Keith was primarily known as an artist. But to call, you know, even back then to call Keith just an artist, because Keith is one of the most creative human beings I've ever encountered in in any media, anywhere, anytime. He's just he's he's he's. You can't call him brilliant. It goes way past brilliant with Keith. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then Keith and Andy realized that Keith just, he, I think he would have been fully capable, but he wasn't ready to move to the next stage and do the dialogue, right? And so I had written the the final, whatever, six issues of the previous incarnation of the Justice League. Yes, I killed Vibe. And I, <laughs> and I killed you know, Steel and all those characters, but I did it. They told me I had to do it. <laughs> it was actually a pretty fun story. And I always say that Jerry Conway got the last laugh because everybody used to rag on those characters. And then suddenly, you know, they're all over, uh, you know, TV constantly. So he got the last laugh on all of that. So Andy basically pulled me in and said, you know, Keith really can't do, doesn't want a dialogue. Do you want a dialogue? And I'm like, just be the dialogue guy and he's going to plot the story. And I kicked and screamed for like six months on that book. The first six months, I actually quit at one point because you want to know why I quit? I quit because it was too much fun and too easy. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> struggling with it enough. You know, then one day I woke up and said, this is the best gig ever because Keith and I, something magical happened and we ended up in this mind meld together. He would create the plots and then I was free to do essentially whatever I wanted with them. A lot of people, if they give you their plot, you better follow exactly what's going on there. And I would just start riffing and getting the characters talking and suddenly relationships would emerge that weren't there before. And then Keith would see what I did and he would spin it off into something else. And I'd see what he did. And we always say it was like a game of tennis, back and forth and back and forth. And then we had this, this incredible piece of magic that we got Kevin McGuire, who was pretty much brand new at the time and exactly the right person to draw that book because the book was completely character-based. And it was humor. There was a lot of humor in it. So you needed people to react and act and interact. And so all, you know, you can't predict when something like this is going to happen. You know, I, to, to all of us, it was just another gig. Keith likes to say that we all thought we were going to get fired in six months. I didn't think that, but I just, to me, it was just like, okay, here's the gig I'm doing now. And mm -hmm. it turned into this thing that like Craven is all these years later, you know, go to conventions. I always say a third of what I sign is Craven's last hunt. 
The third is JLI related. And the third is everything else. And there's a lot of everything else, you know? So it was just, it was just, it was like a blessing from the gods. It was a magical book. And then, you know, we've all in one way, shape or form, uh, especially Keith and I have kept working together over the years on a lot of different projects. A lot of different well, projects. I, that, that cover of issue number one is just one of the like 12 iconic comic book covers of all time. Just, you know, <laughs> all of them standing there, arms crossed, looking up. And, you know, because when I pop, popped it in, I was like, okay, I got to make sure that. And I was like, oh, well, of course. But th that just that 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 moment in time of that that particular incarnation, it's kind of neat that it just sort of luckily, you know, like not luckily happened. Obviously, everybody there was talented. But yeah, but it doesn't matter. I've been on plenty of projects where everybody's talented and they sink like a stone and they might have been great books, too. You just don't know. You don't know what's going to. You know, what's going to I always say once you're done with the story, you've released it into the wild and it, it belongs to the audience now. And you don't know what the hell they're going to do with it. There are Spider-Man stories I've written that honestly, I like personally like more than Craven's Last Hunt. But the audience, not that I and I love Craven's Last Hunt, I'm not saying I don't. Mm -hmm. But the audience decided there was something about this story that resonated with them in a way that nothing else did. And, uh, you know, who am I to argue with them? Um, what can oh, I just throw one follow up in there to Kevin's Please. initial question for J.M.? Um, he was talking about editorial picking the team members for Justice League International, and you, you said they were all handed to you. Um, wasn't there a story involved in like how you guys were like, we're getting no A-listers here. Like The only thing they would give you is Batman. Right, that was the best thing that ever happened to us because yeah. the only A-lister we really got was Batman, and that was through mm -hmm. the, the good graces of Denny O'Neill. And they else... gave you Captain Marvel and then took him away, right? Right, yeah, there was some, and it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, there was some rights issue where like, I forget what it was, but it was like DC could only use Captain Marvel for X number of months, and they had to put him away and bring him back. It was some weird thing. We would have kept him forever. Um, <laughs> But the fact that we got, quote, B-listers, and the truth of the matter is there's no such thing as a B-list characters. You can take any character and turn them into a great character. Mm -hmm. um, it was a blessing to us because if it had been Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, all those editors would have been over our shoulders constantly telling us what we couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Nobody cared what we did with Fire and Ice and Oberon and, 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 and Guy <laughs> and, and Beetle and Booster. They, they didn't. So we got to take those characters and make them our own. It was the same thing years before when I started at Marvel, I, when I was writing the Defenders. I grabbed every yeah. odd little character from the corner that I could because those are the ones you could really do something with. And well, so it was we, a blessing to us that, that, they, that they gave us those, quote, B-list characters who are now A-list characters. One of, one, of the, oh, one of the indie uh, writers who's kind of gone from Kickstarter to, to writing uh, at Marvel, uh, David proposes doing Savage Avengers. And it feels a bit like what he's done is he grabbed Cloak and Dagger, he grabbed Conan, um, you know, like- Deathlock. Death, yeah, real, real, <laughs> real well-known characters that are also not huge names and he gets to kind of take them out of time do yeah. anything he wants with them. That that's that's really that's a recipe. You want that kind of freedom to just go uh, and play like that. A follow up for Jam, but real quick, I love David's work. Um, yeah. So oh. I want to give him a shout out. He yeah. just now crossed into Marvel and mainstream, but his Kickstarters is how he kind of built up his following, mm -hmm. and they've all been uber successful. And I just fell in love with his writing. Um, Jam, when you were talking about editorial, like it was a blessing that they weren't getting involved with the big 
you know, if you had had Wonder Woman, et cetera. You did have Batman. I think you said Danny O'Neill was the editor at the time. He never yeah. scared what you did to Batman. Danny, Danny was was so gracious and let us have fun. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of explains kind of who Danny was. Yeah. Yeah. And look, guy. no harm done. So I would No harm you. done. And here's the thing, <laughs> you know, I think especially once we got started, these other editors, you're going to make fun of our characters. We never made fun of those characters. We had fun with those characters. And it's mm -hmm. a real big difference. The characters we might have made fun of were like, you know, the ridiculous characters we created, like Mr. Nebula, the intergalactic planet designer, you know, but yeah. <laughs> those established DC characters, we were having fun with them. And I always maintain that that the fact that there was so much humor in the book made those characters more three dimensional and more real and more like people that I know in my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I just think it's a good lesson that the uh, Denny stayed out of it. Batman was treated in a comedic setting. It didn't hurt the brand at all. And yeah. you know, let's let people do other stories with the characters. They don't. Although, have to although, it. is Batman really still out there? <laughs> Are we certain they didn't destroy Batman? He only has like fifteen monthly titles now, right? I it's mean. amazing. Isn't it? <laughs> when I go through the solicits every month, when I come out online, it's like, holy Moses! I can't believe how many Batman books there are. You want to put out a title with an A at the front or at DC, or you're never going to see it. You can see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so on Craven's last one, I, I read that pretty diligently. And one thing that I noticed is the symbolism of the rats, the spiders um, in the background at, at all times because of pest and, and of course, Spider-Man and Craven. Um, it was almost like reading old Mad Magazine where um, there was, and this is not a joke, it's symbolism, but do you do you remember where do you mean when they used to have the little things in the borders yeah, yeah i love those when i was a kid you turn the book around and yeah in in your writing process in general but cravens is the example i have that 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 symbolism that you were playing with in the background um did that come immediately when you started to do it or or how did that kind of yeah process that was come? just it was artists? just a natural it was just a natural outflow you know of just wanting to play visually you know one of the great things that alan moore did when he came into the business which is interesting because he was a writer and not an artist but he really understood how to use visual metaphor in his stories and i remember reading his stuff going that's great i i, I gotta do more of that you know um and so it's like you know the, the recurring motifs like the grave digger you know we cut to the grave digger every three mm -hmm. or four pages and, and and playing with those visuals but but the reality is when i sit down to write it's a weird thing to say uh, especially when i'm when i'm when i'm plotting the story hopefully i'm not thinking hopefully my thinking brain is out of the way and what's open is the door at the back of my head that links up my unconscious with whatever's out there in the land of story where those stories come from and it's flowing through. So I'm not thinking, Oh, the symbolism of the spiders and the rats and, you know, <laughs> and, all the, you know, and whatever, you know, sometimes people ask me about stories and it's like, and I go, Oh, is that in there? Oh, you know, you're right. That is symbolic. And that does reference that. And I wasn't even thinking about it, but my unconscious was. Right. So for me, the game is always about opening that door to the unconscious. And I learned that early on, and that the more you surrender to your unconscious, the better your work is going to be. Like what I was talking about with wisdom when I woke up in the morning and I'm watching a movie. Where the hell did that movie come from? I don't know. But I wrote it down as quick as I could, you know, <laughs> before it jumped into somebody else's head. And you'd be talking to somebody else about wisdom because it left, you know. It reminds me of McCartney's story about yesterday. He woke up with the right. tune and was in sure that he stole yeah. it from someone. He was sure yeah. it 
and he just kept asking everybody what song this was and nobody knew it. And, you know, so if wisdom can be your yesterday, I think you're going to do okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, as Saint, you know, it's like Lennon talks about writing across the universe and it's like, uh, mm -hmm. he, he, or there's an even better story when he talks about writing Nowhere Man. And he was sitting for hours and hours trying to write a song and it just, he couldn't get it to happen. And he gave up in disgust and he laid on the floor and the whole song came to him in one, vote. you know, there it was, there's the song. And that's the magic of the, that's, that's the thing I love most about writing. When I'm out of the way and this magical thing is happening, uh, it, it's like a mystical experience. It's like beyond my individual identity. We're into a whole other plane of being there. It's great. It's great. And that's why but, I can I mean, still do it. Yeah. Uh, do you, uh, well, for lack of, I guess, a better phrasing here, what do you feed the beast? I mean, because I, I you, you brought William Blake, because I'm an English geek, all right? Uh, you brought William Blake into Spider-Man. I mean, you're, 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 you say you get out of the way, but you must, you know, ingest all kinds well, of but things. Here's the, yeah, right. You know, here's the, here's the paradox also. You get out of the way, but it's coming through the filter of your consciousness. Whatever this is being, you know, I, I really imagine like there's this whole other dimension where all these stories exist and they're getting beamed into our heads. But it has to come through the filter of you, of your personality, of your obsessions, of your likes and dislikes, of the themes that obsess you, you know? So, you know, William Blake is one of those things that's just woven into me, just like you'll see Dostoevsky referenced uh, either literally or thematically in a lot of my stories, you know, uh, Bradbury, whatever it is, or, the, or just the themes, you look through all my stories and you'll see themes of personal identity, themes of cosmic identity, things about family relationships with your father, all those things, you know, they're going to, so you're going to set, you're going to beam that story through my head, but all my obsessions are going to be infused into that story. And then there's another step that goes beyond that, which is here you have like your, I'm writing Spider-Man, this individual character that's existed before me and will exist long after I'm gone. And yet, and it's a very specific individual character. And yet I am pouring everything that I am into this character. So there's this merging of me and that character that becomes something else when I write it. So there's so many levels and layers to this game of imagination and manifestation that we go through as writers. And that's what, that's what I love, you know? So, and then they become real people. You know, I've said this many times, but I really mean it. Like Peter Parker is a real person to me. I don't think of him as some imaginary guy. I know him so well, and I've known him for so many years and they have to become real in order for you to write them. And then even with your own characters, right? All the characters in these four books that we're writing, they come out of me, and yet they have to take on their own individual identity and live their own existence. Even though they're born out of me, they're not me anymore. And then, mm -hmm. as we said before, then it goes into the audience's hands. So whose story is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know? <laughs> and and when, when, they, when they make a choice you don't expect them to make. Yes. Uh, I mean... I, I don't I, I haven't written nearly as much as you, but every once in a while, like, you know, they, this is and then and you're like, you, you got to follow it. I always because... say it's like I, I'll, I'll say two things. First, I always say it's like you're on a horse and, and you have a goal. Like I'm riding this horse across the prairie and I'm going to that town seven miles that way. And you're come on, horse. And the horse is pulling off to the right. And you're like, come on, horse. And the horse is going, you have a choice. You can force that horse to go the way you want it to go or let it gallop off and follow where it wants to lead you. And that's always the right decision is to follow it. And I'll tell you one quick story. We talked about Abadazad before. 
And this was, I think, the third issue of the of the cross-gen comic. And I used to do, Abadazad, one of the premises was that there was a, a series of children's books written in the early 1900s called Abadazad. And so each, each issue would begin with a text page or two from those books, which, which I would write in the style of, say, L. Frank Baum, as if it was written in 1901 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I've got this issue, the third, the book's going great. One of the best things I've ever worked on. We're into the third issue. I've got, I've got all my tent poles mapped out. You know, I know where this story is supposed to go. I have a group of new characters that I'm going to introduce. And I start to write this text page from the book, you know, and literally I type the name of a character that until I typed it, I have never heard of this character. It was not in my head. Not in my notes. It was nowhere. But I typed this character, and he's on the page. And this is really weird. Well, let me find out who the hell he is, and I keep typing. <laughs> so now I see, well, that's an interesting character. Maybe at some point in the future, we'll bring him into the actual main story, and we'll play with him. But right now, I have this story to tell. And I'm trying to write this story, and it's just falling apart. You know that feeling when you can feel your story just crumbling into dust in your hand? <laughs> and I can feel it's this character. He's like... I got to be in this story. I, you can't be in the story. I have all these new characters that I want. To, I got to be in this story. And when I finally realized I had no choice and I took this character and introduced him to the story, everything just went worked perfectly. And all these other new characters I was going to introduce never showed up. And this character became one of the most important characters in the story. Where did he come from? I had never heard of him until I typed his name on the page. Nice. And that's the beauty of the unconscious. Wasn't wasn't Tolkien grading papers when he wrote something like um, under a hill uh, in what, wherever lived a hobbit named Bilbo Baggins? And they looked <laughs> at it and said, I wonder what that means. That's great. Uh, but that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Uh, so I have time for a couple more questions and I have to jump. No, I, I will. Do you, do you have something? Because I don't want to hold you any longer, but I, I, I have enjoyed more every fine. second. I was fine. Uh, I, you know, I guess uh, kind of one of the things that, you know, I, I try to write. Kevin, Kevin is also a writer on Tart. Uh, I do crossover division. We have people that, uh, you know, watch that are also writers and artists. You've been doing this consistently for, for so many years. I guess, you know, what's the secret sauce? How, how can we do this too? <laughs> <laughs> how right? <laughs> how right? Yeah. How right? <laughs> You know, I, I, that's the beauty of it. I don't know what the hell the secret sauce is. I really, really don't. <laughs> the secret sauce is probably what we've been talking about, is the fact that, all right, you know, I'm done. I, you know, I, I don't have any more stories. I, how am I going to write it? You know, even something like, you know, they can't do, do you want to write it? you want to write a, a Ben Riley story? Well, actually, that was the wrong example because I said yes in 10 seconds because I love that character. <laughs> but sometimes you think, you know, oh, I'm going to come up with another, another story. And then all of a sudden that door opens in your head and you're excited because I don't know what's gonna happen. And mm -hmm. that enthusiasm, that magic of storytelling, you know? And, and I, I've said this many times, but it bears repeating, there's a concept in, in Chinese thought called beginner's mind, where you should, anything you do, you should do as if you've never done it before. And every time you sit down to write a story, you're essentially, even though we're not writing on paper anymore, you're facing a blank page. And sometimes I sit down and I literally have said to my wife, I don't know how I've ever done this. Yeah, you know, no, I don't, where, where, with all those stories that are sitting on my shelf, I have no clue. I don't know how to write a story. How do you, I don't, I don't know. And it's like, I've never done it before. And then suddenly something clicks and off you go. And as long as that excitement is there, I'll keep doing it. 
Hmm. You know, and if that excitement isn't there, you shouldn't be doing it. And I really, and I'm, a, I'm a, a real believer in the old cliche. It's a cliche because it's true to follow your dreams. Because I think if you follow your dreams, they, they may, my line is they may not lead you where, where you expect to go, but if you follow them, they, they will always lead you someplace good. It may be someplace unexpected, but it will be a good place. Go. Yeah, it's kind of what we're saying about the horse. Well, I want to be, I don't know, I want to be the great American novelist. And somehow I end up writing comic books. But then comic books lead to TV, live action and animation. And, and I end up writing books. And, you know, but it's like, I thought I would, gonna, you know, so you just, you, you follow those passions and they lead, you know, Someone I know, someone who you know, their their thing was was to work in theater, and they were going to be on Broadway, and they had some success. But what they ended up doing was teaching theater, and this person became such an extraordinary force in the community, touching the lives of so many kids, changing their lives by working with them and doing plays with them. So that wasn't necessarily where this person started out, but where they ended up is probably better than any place else that they would have ever their lives would have led them. So just follow the passion and see where it takes you. Many, many stops along the way for me have been unexpected, really. No, awesome. I, I'd like Hell, to I used to think I was going to be a rock and roll star. Look where I ended up. <laughs> you, got, you got time? Which I, saw Weird Al, I saw Weird Al two days ago. You got time. Okay. <laughs> By the way, JM has at least one full album of music on YouTube, and it's very good. So oh, thank you, David. Thank you. Um, I want to throw two comments in there on that. One is um, that JM won't say about himself, but one thing has been very clear from this very – intimate year and a half now that we've had uh, building towards this project, his work ethic is second to none. And a lot of people, myself included, I think are, cause you know, I've been a writer for 20 years and I had that same feelings, very familiar to me of sitting down with that blank page of being like, Oh, here we go again. It's like, you're constant. You think you climbed it and then you're back and it's like, you never climbed it. It's right. exhausting. He finds a way to, to sit up straight and do it every time. And I think other people find excuses to procrastinate or get away from it. I don't know intimately JM's schedule, but I do know that he's often like, I'm scheduling myself to write from blank to blank so I can't do blank. That's a good skill, I think, for anyone to assign to themselves. If this is something you're serious about and you want to make a career out of it, then force yourself to have a work day of blank hours to do that. Even if you have a full-time job and it's not writing, give it that amount of time that it deserves um and not just writing with this project that we've been doing and i didn't anticipate this coming in uh but there's so much other work involved beyond just being the writer he has been a true partner and collaborator with me on the business side from day one every business decision that's been made we have collaborated on you know i solicit his opinion take it into account and on every specific book just so it's out there Every artist is an equal collaborator and voter. And I, and I said this before we even started, all three people get an equal vote and two decides it. So mm -hmm. if I'm like, no, I want the logo to be blank, but both the writer and the artist are saying, no, I think the other logo is better. I just give up because I feel like it's a collaboration and two very smart, accomplished people are saying that. But <clears throat> not to get too far off, work ethic, work ethic, worth ethic, worth work ethic, and this man has gods of it. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, I really liked what Jam said about pursuing your dreams because I see that dovetailing back to where we are here. We started yes. this whole conversation with Spellbound and me saying I was reading all those books during the pandemic, and it reawakened this dream in me. I didn't. 
I wasn't, no offense, Jim, I wasn't thinking about JM before I happened to see him in the Baltimore Comic-Con. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember all those things mm -hmm. he wrote that I love. And he's interesting. Let me ride the wave of life. He's do, I see him now on social media doing a, a class. Well, I've written for 20 years. I probably don't need a basic writing class, but I'm bored. Let me try it. Oh, look, we get along. Oh, look, we're still keeping in touch. Oh, I'm hearing about his ideas. Simultaneously, I'm thinking about publishing. Let me bring it together. Okay, I'll do all this work. It's a lot of work, guys, but I'll do mm -hmm. it all because this is the path that life has sort of taken me and I'm letting it happen. You know, when I get yeah. up every day during this campaign, I'm like, oh man, I have to start promoting again. Like, like you're all, I've never promoted. <laughs> That's the hardest part. I have to say, I'm, I, it's not in my nature. And, you know, to mm -hmm. be tweeting about the same thing 47 times a day. And, and, and yet you have to do it because the truth, as we know, of social media is if I tweeted now and five minutes from now, there might be 5,000 people that weren't on Twitter, you know, five minutes before. You just don't know. So you have to. I've seen with projects where I mentioned a project a bunch of times. I think I never should mention it again. And then like a month goes by and you mention it and someone goes, I didn't know that was coming out. And you Can think, oh, my God, I've mentioned it so many times. So the truth of the matter is you have to do it. It's yeah. it's it's kind of uncomfortable, but you have to do it. Can we prepare you for uh, the day after the campaign closes? Yeah, <laughs> please do. JM, when are you going to run that Kickstarter? <laughs> That's what you're going to get those questions. <laughs> it's the day. It's the day after it closes, and you go. You you've been you've been almost embarrassed for I, right. Right. I, I, Gail, Gail Simone uh, followed me on Twitter. I don't know if she still follows me. I hope she does, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> and three days later, I started a Kickstarter campaign. And all I could think is, I really wish she would have started following me three days after this. Instead of <laughs> now, because uh, now I'm just going to be that annoying guy yeah. that just, right. just talks about it. But also, <laughs> I had to, you know, pr promote it. And you, you have know, to. Yeah, 47 yeah, times no, a day. There's no choice. There's no choice. And, you have to. And you'll get that email. Um, so Shani wrote, I, I put my two cents in on the campaign and look forward to digging into and enjoying the stories. Uh, this has been great. And it's been a pleasure to get to know both of you. Oh, I thank think you so much. We like to we like to end on a very positive note. And I can't think of a, a more positive note from a, a better person than Shani. So David well, and Jim. Let's yep. let's do two more things. Let's oh, yeah. uh, throw let's throw the uh, link up so that people sure. can see it before the end. And then. Uh, you both mentioned social media. Where can we find you on social media? Um, what on Twitter, on Facebook? Um, I, am, both of I us. am on I am on Twitter at James D. Mateus. I'm on Facebook, you know, Facebook slash James D. Mateus, and on Instagram JM dot D. Mateus. And then uh, then there's my website jamdmateus.com, and I'm getting tired already just mentioning all these things. <laughs> so, uh, spellboundcomics.com is the main site, and you can purchase there. It will save us a few percentage points over the Kickstarter fees, and it will all be the same price and the same fulfillment rules and all that. And then on social media, uh, Instagram is at spellboundcomics, plural. Twitter is singular, at spellboundcomic, because they limit the number of characters, so that was it. And um, there's a Facebook group that is slash Spellbound Comics. So you can just search for it. Awesome. Excellent. Thanks, gentlemen. gentlemen. Absolute pleasure. And, yeah, it was uh, great. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, absolutely. Have great. a great night. We're going to talk about some of the campaigns that have been on the show. And while you are live, we will be bringing up the Demultiverse uh, every Friday night uh, until you close. So oh, thank, thank you. you so much. Go get Bless either you dinner. Both. 
dinner, a snack, a walk, whatever you do. And I don't, I don't know where people are in the world, but um, it was a really pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much, guys. Take good care. Thank you, you too. Bye. So, Will, I am going to lean on you a little bit because I missed some of these, uh, but I, I didn't miss concrete. Uh, Arcanum. Arcanum. Mm -hmm. It is an anthology, but I'm not going to lie. I'm blanking on the conceit of it. Uh, do you do it you is, have it in yeah, your head? It is. Uh, magic has kind of, you know, metaphorically oh. come out of the closet and it's just there. And this uh, anthology is about how people deal with, you know, magic in their world. That's right. That's right. And do we have time for the alchemist? of Aurelia, because I know it is closing super soon. Um, uh, it is five hours, day. five yes. hours left. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, the Alchemist of Aurelia is about a, an impatient wizard in training who probably should uh, put, put a little more time into her studies as opposed to just going out to make spells. Um, but, uh, Luckily, her mistake a spell brings a sprite into her life, and um, which will or will not protect her from the oncoming adventure. Uh, Melissa J. Massey writes and draws it. It's just a, a nice, fun, it's going to get darker uh, fantasy adventure. Uh, we have Our Starry Universe, uh, which is a sci-fi fantasy comic uh, that we had them on earlier. I think it ends um october 20th so uh, there's still some time on it yeah october 20th uh it uh is science fiction but it also blends some fantasy in because uh the main character survives uh, a spaceship crash when her magic manifests and uh kills things... everybody else in her crew unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately but so it's, she... i believe <laughs> There are pirates. I think there are space pirates. Yeah, there's space pirates uh, and uh, magic and sci-fi. It's just a nice space opera. Fun mm -hmm. fun times by Andrew Vargas. Yep. And oh, and we are going to try to work something out with our buddy Rob Maltari. We have not been able yep. to yet, but Nightwolf, Snowpaw, uh, Werewolf Adventure, Gory, you know, Gory Sexy Time Adventures. Mm -hmm. Not TNA Sexy Time, but... but uh, it's sexy, sexy. It's beautiful. Too. It's beautiful art by Mog Park. So yeah, uh, yeah. Check that like, out. Uh, do we have anything we can show that Mog Park might have uh, <laughs> sent anybody uh, while we're sure. here? Sure. Uh, you need to go see Mog Park because this is a metal print of her cover to Crossover Division Number Four, and it is absolutely gorgeous. So uh, go check out Mog and uh, go buy a bunch of these from her because they're awesome. <laughs> And I think we have about one day. It was 24 hours this afternoon. One day to get the second installment of Granite State Punk, uh, which is uh, Travis Gibbs' story of, uh, about the, the man of the mountain in New Hampshire, which is uh, a place to go uh, visit on your travels. Although, like I said, I saw Weird Al uh, now 48 hours ago, and I cannot get the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota <laughs> out of my head. And usually when you get an earworm, it's terrible, but I have been having so much fun just shouting that out every... Yeah, I can't believe this is the first time I've done it on the stream, because it's gone through my head the entire uh, time we've been well, on. 
and Breaking Edge is uh, the second issue of Granite State Punk, where uh, they're dealing, I think, with the first witch burned at the stake. Uh, okay. And again, Travis, Travis is a great guy, and he says mm -hmm. this is the best work he's doing. So go check it out. Uh, and no had, spell uh, last last forever. You're gonna. I heard a little bit about this. I did listen to the show last week. Thank you very much for letting me. <laughs> go to the keys and and visit the the southernmost point so uh, i do appreciate it but so uh what what was the uh what is no spell left last forever well uh the main character uh is, is has magic uh but she ends up getting killed and then makes a deal with the devil to come back and she has to tempt a good pure soul but then she's kind of deciding maybe that she doesn't necessarily want to do that um mm -hmm. it's got some gorgeous art uh and some great writing so definitely check it out it is uh, a, a really beautiful book and i think it's got about two weeks left is that right uh yes 20 days three weeks yep. so yeah three weeks so definitely now, time to check that out this one is the one that confused me with concrete Ar arcanum um I know this one. Okay, so the concept of this horror anthology is a box shows up with uh -huh. the answers to your problems. All you have to do is kill someone. And if you uh -huh. kill someone, you get the answers to your problem. You don't have to kill someone, but then you don't get the answers, get the answers to your problems. <laughs> and some other things might happen from the box. I don't know, but it sounded yeah. like such a great conceit. I was like, oh, I actually have a story for that. But it <laughs> I'll, I'll read the anthology first, so maybe somebody's already done my my twist. And and also last week we had uh, our buddy. Uh, oh wait, so Stephen, yeah, yeah, Monster uh, Matador. Steven I'm gonna guess of Monster Matador. Yep, Volume One is out, so uh, definitely check out the Monster Matador. Uh, it is. Uh, a pretty awesome series and uh this is this collects i think three or four mm -hmm. of the issues i can't remember which but uh go check it out it's uh it's really amazing matador uh, fights kaijus and the art in it is extraordinary yep now this one is going to be pretty easy this one is grandma chainsaw <laughs> and the story it about is exactly what you would expect it to be <laughs> as long as you expect her to do the killing it's a grandma with a chainsaw doing the killing and that's uh, right <laughs> super fun and uh, great work and you know like we'll do one one little shout out to the jmd mateus workshops if you want to check in and see if he's doing the workshops anymore one weekend his website is www.jmdmateus.com slash p slash workshops underscore three dot html literally i googled jmd mateus workshops and uh, i found it so it's pretty easy to find and as we learned tonight a uh, heck of a nice guy really interesting to listen to so if you want to uh, do a workshop i can't imagine uh there are many better um and certainly most aren't going to teach you like he does and we haven't had these people on the show, but I've got a few uh, other things that I'm backing right now that mm -hmm. I'm sure you're you're probably backing as well, and that uh, other people would be interested in. Is uh, there's this little known writer? Uh, his name's Pat Shand. He's never really had much success on Kickstarter, I'm afraid. No. Um, 
Uh, I'm joking, of course. Pat Shand is a monster on Kickstarter, and Destiny New York Volume 6 is out right now. So go check that out. And go right now. Up. You have like two hours. So if you're yeah. listening to the podcast, it's not happening. But if you're watching live, you, you've got to go right now for Destiny Go right New now. Uh, oh, uh, our, our buddy Clay Adams, who uh, we're all jealous of all the time, mm -hmm. uh, has a, a book out right now called Dream Quest, which is a 48-page Lovecraftian horror uh, one shot. Uh, the art is by Mick Byers, who is an amazing artist. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, a swell guy and a swell guy who needs to come on the show. So yes. get on that, Mick. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, two, two left, uh, sharp wit and the company of women by, uh, Brent Fisher and Michelle. And I apologize. I'm not going to try to destroy her last name. But uh, the same people that did uh, The Color of Always. Uh, so mm -hmm. this is another um, anthology. Uh, right? Another anthology. Uh, Sharp Wit in the Company of Women. So there you go. And finally, uh, Moana uh, McAdams, a friend of ours, is uh, Journey to. I, I'm going to butcher it and I apologize, Moana. Guys, guys we've made it. We've made it. We made it. We have. Oh. Uh, we, have um, we have spam. We yes. have spam. We're a real YouTube show, guys. We have spam. <laughs> so if you want to find love, uh, stop watching this stream. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't think you find love at at uh, that particular place. So if you want to know what it is, I'm not going to say it. Uh, you go to the YouTube page. I, I won't be able yeah. to delete it for a day or two. But uh, we made it. We have three spam uh, comments on YouTube. So yeah. Oh, and one last one last campaign that I just backed yesterday. Harpy of the West, number two by yeah. Rio Burton, which uh, Rio is an amazing artist. And uh, yeah, go check that out. All right. I really appreciate it, Will. Yeah. I got a run tonight, but I, I, I it was fun to get back in the saddle with you. Yeah, you bet, man. Hey, and uh, safe travels. And yeah. uh, we will chat soon, I'm sure. To Shawnee, to Tate, to Facebook user who I'm going to guess was Charlie, uh, to our spammers who are confusing porn with love. Thank you for joining <laughs> us, and we will see you next week. That's right. Thanks, everyone.